If you remember last week, our first week of Advent, we, we talked about the story of Zechariah, uh, the angel coming to Zechariah to announce the birth of John the Baptist. Uh, Alyssa put together uh, her quarter of our mural uh, to um, uh, illustrate that story. And, and this week, uh, Cassie added her quarter to it uh, to illustrate the story of Mary today. I encourage you to take some time uh, looking and viewing those later on. We talked about Zechariah's doubt and how Zechariah doubted the character of God, but God nonetheless is in control. God is in the business of getting things done in the world. And um, sometimes we just, we just don't believe that that's the case. We saw that even in the midst of Zechariah's unbelief, God was still going to pursue the plan that he was working on. So this week, something a little different. Um, this uh, last summer, I built a shed in my backyard. And it was a lot of fun. It was the first structure I'd ever built from nothing by myself. Um, and uh, we, we poured some footings and built the floor and the walls and the siding and all the little pieces. And John's like, man, that's whatever. I do that every day. But for me, it was super fun to see this thing come out of nothing. And my youngest daughter, Nora, is uh, really into helping. And so she would be outside and she'd be helping. And I, I remember I was assembling the walls. I had them down on the floor and I was, I was setting the bottom plate and the, and the studs. And I had the pneumatic nailer. Which, the framing nailers, I mean, it's, it's kind of like just a gun. Like, it's loud, and I mean, it would hurt you if you got shot with it. Um, and so Nora would just kind of like cover her ears and kind of run away, and she just, it bothered her. But I decided at one point, you know, you know how we're going to fix this? Hey, Nora, do you want to use the framing gun? And she went, really? I can use the framing gun? And before you think I'm a terrible parent, I held the framing gun, but I let her pull the trigger. And she, she, she's holding it, and she's pulling the trigger, and it goes, bang! And she laughed, and she thought it was the greatest thing ever, because she was in charge of the explosive noise. And what I want to talk about this morning is this idea that, that God is doing something in the world. He's, he's building something in the world, and for some reason... He doesn't need to, but he wants human partners. He asks us, powerless, helpless creatures, to join him in his building project and to do things that otherwise we wouldn't be able to do. And this is a story that we hear from the very beginning of Scripture. If you're familiar with the first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, the author writes, And then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created the male and female, and he blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. 
And so in Genesis, we see this mandate given to the man and the woman to rule the world on God's behalf. God makes this amazing thing and he creates people to share the responsibility and the authority of his world, which is a crazy idea because God doesn't need our help. And yet he still asks for our help. And this is what we see in Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to be on page 907 in the Bibles that are laying around. And the author of Luke, he writes in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1, he says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So the sixth month is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Remember last week, Zechariah was told that his wife, who is past childbearing age, is going to get pregnant. And she does. And six months into that pregnancy is what Luke is saying. Gabriel, who is the angel that appeared to Zechariah, shows up in this little town called Nazareth to a young woman, probably a teenage girl named Mary, who is engaged to be married. What Some of your translations might say betrothed. And in ancient Israel, you would get betrothed in marriage, which was a legally binding agreement that said, we're going to get married someday. And maybe you got betrothed as infants or maybe you got betrothed as teenagers, but the only way to get out of a betrothal was a divorce. It was a legally binding premarital agreement. And so she, this is the situation she's in. She's married to, or she's engaged to a man named Joseph. And tw verse 28, the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. The angel says, favored woman. Favored is the same word that sometimes gets translated grace. Woman full of grace. And I think it's important to recognize that the grace that she's filled with is not the reason for her being chosen. God doesn't choose her because she is somehow special. She becomes special because God chooses her. And that's the story of all of us today. If we have been chosen by God, if we are God's people, if you call yourself a Christian, you are favored. Not because of anything you've done or who you are, but because God has chosen you. But Mary's not so sure about this. And I don't blame her, right? An angel shows up at your house, a, a man shining in white, and says, you're so awesome, Mary. You, do you know anybody that praises you too much? You know that person who's, who just like says, everything is just so great? I, I've known people before where we've been in like business relationships and I'll throw out an idea and, oh man, that's so awesome. You're so brilliant. And I, and I just go like, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm really not. That was a fine idea, but you are flattering me. What's your angle, Gabriel? What, what's going on here? Mary knows something's up. God is doing something in the world. And what he's doing is he's completely reshaping the world. He's building a new world. And he's putting Jesus 
at its center. Look at verse 30. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Gabriel announces that this This child is going to be born to her, and he is going to completely reshape the world. Gabriel is using language that Mary would have been familiar with because Mary would have grown up knowing the Hebrew scriptures. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. And so some of these ideas are likely rattling through Mary's head as the angel makes this pronouncement of this this son that will be born, this coming king that's going to go about completely changing the world. And this is exactly what Jesus says he's doing when he grows up, when he enters into ministry. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, it says, after John was arrested... Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. What's the good news? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. All throughout scripture, we see that Jesus is bringing about a new kind of world. The old world is passing away. All things are becoming new. And he is kind of the inauguration of this new world. God is doing something and he's putting Jesus at the center of it. But God is doing something and he's partnering with Mary to do it. Look at verse 34. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not known a man? Mary recognizes that she is going to be the mother of the Messiah, the King, the Son of God. But there are problems. There's a biological problem. Mary's a virgin. There's a sociological problem. Mary is unmarried. And there's a status problem. Mary is poor. She lives in this little town up north. She's not royalty. And at first, it seems like this is very similar to the situation with Zechariah. Remember, we saw Zechariah say, how is this going to happen? I'm old. My wife's old. And Gabriel said, since you don't trust me, you don't get to talk until the baby's born. So he was rebuked for unbelief. But I don't think Mary is doubting God's character like Zechariah was. I think she's just asking for clarification on the mechanics of the plan, right? How how is this exactly going to work? Here... Here are some potential roadblocks, Gabriel. And I love that about Mary because it's it's something that I don't always do. When when I pray, when we pray, do do we give things to God or do we just assume that he knows everything already? I want to read a story in 
Isaiah. This is Isaiah chapter 37. In Isaiah chapter 37, there's a man named Sennacherib who is a king. He's an Assyrian king, a king of an evil, wicked empire. And he he writes a letter to King Hezekiah of Judah. And and he says, um, I'm going to get you, basically. Your God's not going to save you. We're going to conquer Israel. Just you wait. And in verse 14 of Isaiah 37... Hezekiah took the letter from the messenger's hands. He read it, and then he went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord of armies, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, and all the kingdoms of the earth. You made the heavens and the earth. Listen closely, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Hear all the words that Sennacherib has sent to mock the living God. Lord, it is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated all these countries and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but they were made from wood and stone by human hands. So they have destroyed them. Now, Lord, our God, save us from his power so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are God, you alone. I just think this is such a great example of bringing something before the Lord. Here's this letter that Hezekiah gets. Sennacherib's saying, I'm going to destroy you and your God can't save you. And what does he do? He says, have you seen this, God? Have you read this letter? I need your help. And and God seems to want that from us, doesn't he? God wants our partnership. And part of that partnership is dialogue. He wants us to talk to him. You see it, Abraham uh, and the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis. God comes to Abraham and he says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to destroy this city. What do you think about it? And Abraham goes, well, what if there's like 50 good people in there? Will you still destroy it? And God goes, no, if there's 50 good people, I won't destroy it. And then he goes, well, what if there's 45? No, I won't destroy it then. Well, well, what if there's 40? And he goes all the way down to where, what if there's 10? And it's this dialogue where Abraham is interceding on behalf of Sodom for God. Moses and the people of Israel, all through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, God's like, you know what? These people are driving me crazy. I'm going to kill them all. And Moses goes, please don't. Please don't kill them. You're not, you're not going to kill them. And it's almost like God just wants to talk it out with people. Does he need to? No. But for some reason, he's looking for people to partner with. And I think that's what Mary's doing. Hey, I have questions. I'm, I'm bought in, but... But can we go over exactly how this is going to work? And look at what the angel says. Verse 35. The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who is called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. And this is, I think this is really great. I think Gabriel is doing something here. I think he's telegraphing something special. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And I think what we're supposed to think of when we hear that is the very first page of the Bible. In the book of Genesis, Chapter one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse two says, 
Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and, and the rest of the creation story continues. And it's almost as if Gabriel is saying, you know that story you grew up with, Mary, the one where there's this emptiness, and the Spirit of God is moving over the emptiness, and in the midst of the emptiness, he's going to create a universe, a new world. Well, there's an emptiness inside of you, and the Spirit of God is going to move over you and create a whole new world, a whole new reality. And he's going to use you to do it. Now, we know from other places in the Bible that the Son of God is part of the eternal trinity, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have existed forever. And the divine character of Jesus isn't created in Mary's womb. But his human nature is. And this callback to Genesis, which I think we're supposed to get, is that God is doing something big. He's creating a whole new world in this moment with Mary. And before we move on, God's plan is really weird. Like, it's the Christmas season where we're familiar with these stories, but have you ever just thought about how strange this is? If you're God, you're going to take back the earth from the powers of darkness and death. You're going to remake the world the way it's meant to be, and you're going to place yourself as the king on the throne. How are you going to do it? I'm going to go find this young girl in this backwater town, and I'm going to be born as a helpless baby. I'm going to grow up in poverty, and then I'm going to assert myself as king in Jerusalem and be crucified. That's such a weird plan. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written... What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. The Apostle Paul says that there are spiritual beings ruling over the nations. This, the, the rulers of this age is what he's, the, the terminology he uses. And they're opposed to the rule of God. And they're working to destroy the world. And God sets out on this rescue plan to redeem the world for himself and specifically, Paul's talking about the crucifixion. But the reason it's so weird is because the powers don't see it coming. It doesn't, doesn't feel like the way an omnipotent God would conquer his foes by being born to a peasant family as a baby and living an obscure life for 30 years and then standing up to the powers of the world only to be defeated and then rising from the dead. That's a weird plan, but that's exactly the plan that God is setting in motion with Mary right now. And then look what she says in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel left her. 
She says, I'm in. It's weird. I don't understand it. You didn't really answer my questions very well, Gabriel, but I'm in. God is doing a work. He's building a new world with Jesus at the center. God is building a new world and he's using Mary to do it. And then God's new world will run exactly upside down from the current one. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth in verse 39 and through verse 45, and and she prophesies over her and and, and blesses her. We're not going to, for time's sake, go through those verses, but look at what Mary says in response to this blessing in verse 46. Mary said, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. So Mary sings a song about what's going to happen with the birth of this child. And this song is almost completely focused on the greatness of God and how God has turned the economy of the world upside down. In verse 48, she says that he gives grace and favor to a humble, poor, unknown young woman. In verse 51, he, presents, he prevents prideful people from succeeding in their selfishness. In verse 52, he removes those in power from their positions and replaces them with the powerless. And in verse 53, he feeds the hungry and takes the possessions of the rich away. Jesus, Mary said, is rescuing people from sin and death, and he is creating a new society in which the lowly person is favored, the plans of the proud person are thwarted, the powerless are given power, and the hungry are given the possessions of the rich. Now, here's a question. Does that sound like good news to you, or does that make you uncomfortable? It kind of makes me uncomfortable. I mean, we just got done talking about wanting to buy a $400,000 church building. And Mary's saying that the kingdom of God looks like the poor being given the wealth of the rich, the, the powerful losing their positions and the positions being given to the powerless, the proud having their plans destroyed. And the reality for most of us is that we're kind of comfortably middle-class Americans, And if you asked any of us individually, I I bet nobody in here would say, yeah, I'm rich. But compared to a lot of people, we're all incredibly wealthy. If you're a family of four this morning and you make $45,000 a year, you're richer than 87.9% of the other people in the world. And if you give away half of your yearly income, 
you're still richer than 75.7% of the people of the world. And that, that makes me uncomfortable. And we can talk about like, well, there's reasons and we live in this culture where you, I mean, you couldn't survive, you didn't make a certain amount of money and we need to own cars and homes and everything's expensive. And, and I get that, but that's why it's so uncomfortable. We've created a society in which we, we have to be wealthy or we can't survive. We can't even live in a society where we, we live in a society where we can't even imagine Mary's vision of what the kingdom of God looks like playing out. We can all look at people who we consider rich. Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, and, and they've got way too much. Everybody agrees they have way too much money, right? But if I had that much money, I would feel differently. <laughs> and yet, most of us still live in the situation where the vast majority of the world looks up to us and goes, you all have so much money. What are you doing with it? I remember listening to a, a speaker once who was talking about his time in Africa and working with um, African Christians and talking about his garage and how the African Christians didn't know what a garage was. And, and he said, well, it's, it's like a, it's a house that we keep our cars in. And they said, you have a separate house that you keep your cars in? And right now we don't have a garage. And I go, man, I wish we had a garage. <laughs> It's cold, and my car is cold out in the, <laughs> outside all the time. But this is the world we live in, where we're just fabulously wealthy, and we don't even realize it. And Mary says, the kingdom of God, it's not like that. The poor will be exalted, and the rich will be sent away empty, she says. And it's not just Mary, right? Jesus carries on this way. In Luke, just a few chapters from now, Luke 4 Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Matthew 20, Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those in high position act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus' whole ministry is marked by the things that Mary's song is proclaiming it's going to be marked by. Finding the lowly and giving them voices. Finding the poor and giving them resource. And the church becomes this outpost of this new world, this new creation that God is starting in Mary. And it looks completely different than the current kingdom around us. And even today, in 2020, God is still asking and seeking for human partners to help him with it. 
And we all of us today have the opportunity to say, like Mary did, I am the Lord's servant. I'm in. I want to be part of this. But we still have to choose. Every week, we take communion. We come before this this little table and we take the bread and the cup like Jesus asked us to do. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And we're illustrating another weird part of God's plan. Jesus says, I am going to defeat the powers and principalities, the rulers of this world that are bent on destruction and violence and death. How am I going to do that? I'm going to let them beat me. I'm going to win by losing. I'm going to conquer death by dying. Jesus defeats evil by allowing it to do its worst to him. And when we remember Christ at the communion table, we are continually affirming, sign me up for this upside down kingdom. I want to be a part of this strange plan. You've invited us in to partner with you to create this new world, and I'm saying yes. It's an affirmation of our covenant as Christians. And that means something. If we're going to take the communion meal, it means if we're humble, we receive grace. But if we're proud, we're going to be laid low because that's how the kingdom of God works. If we have power, we get the opportunity to give that power away to those without power, to find the people that don't have a voice, to lift them up in our midst. If we are rich, we have the opportunity to give our wealth away to those that are poor, to feed the hungry, to honor the oppressed. That makes me uncomfortable because I'm, I'm fairly well off, all things considered. And I think it probably should make most of us uncomfortable. Mary doesn't give any answers here. She, from for her perspective, it, it's totally clear because she is without resources. She has no status in the world. She lives a subsistence lifestyle where give us this day our daily bread is a real prayer. And for her, the coming of the kingdom is good news. But is it good news for us this season? It should be, and it can be, if we're willing to be a part of God's purposes creating this new world where the poor are lifted up and the powerless are dethroned and the proud are scattered. And I don't, I don't have any like three steps to make that happen in our lives. I don't have any plan for that. But I just, I want us this morning to just kind of meditate on the idea that this is what the kingdom of God looks like. And for Mary, it was good news. But is it good news for us? Because it can be if we're willing to let it be we're willing to give up some things that we hold on to, that we're trained to hold on to as rich Americans. This is what the Christmas season looks like. So as we, as we sing, 
as we remember the Lord in his death for our sins, think about that. How do you identify in Mary's song? Are you you a humble servant? Are you poor and powerless? Or, Or maybe you identify more closely with the strong one, the proud one, the ruler, the powerful. And what does that mean for us? If we say we follow Jesus, the king who lays himself low to recreate the world in a completely upside down way. Let's pray. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.